Continuing our study here through the book of Romans, we're going to pick the pace up a little bit and do a good chunk of chapter 11. If you haven't been with us here, the last few weeks we've been talking about uh, doing Romans 9, 10, and 11, which is a little bit of a break here in the book of Romans. First eight chapters dealt primarily with the gospel and the idea of what is the gospel and the understanding of we're all sinners and we all need Christ. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul takes a little bit of a break through the Spirit and he starts talking about this idea of how do we not all need the gospel, but most importantly, Israel needs the gospel. Jesus died for the Jews. He died for them, and they have rejected that idea of him as Savior. So in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he's been talking about how Israel has rejected Jesus and how, therefore, then salvation came to us. But also, most importantly, Israel will eventually come back to know Christ as well. And so we've been talking about this on a national level, the idea of the Jews coming to know Jesus, but also then on a personal level. What does this mean for us? When it comes to our responsibility to telling other peoples about Jesus. So with that being said, Romans 11, starting in verse 11. It says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them, who if they're being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, if you're like me, you read those verses and you say, I have no idea what he's trying to say there. Very simply put, let's break it down. Verse 11. Who's the they? That's Israel. So they've stumbled. Have they fallen? Basically, have they fallen so far away from the Lord that they can't be saved? His answer in verse 11 is certainly not. Israel hasn't so fallen away from the Lord that they can't be saved. But he just reminds us again in verse 12, by Israel rejecting Jesus, by the Jews rejecting Jesus, salvation has now come to us, which are the Gentiles. A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. So therefore, we have now been saved. We have now have salvation because therefore, since the Jews rejected Christ, we now have the opportunity to come to know Jesus. And then he just reminds us in verse 14, he goes, I am going to use you guys to make the Jews jealous. And he says that in verse 12. He also says that in verse 14. He goes, part of the way I'm using you, the Gentiles, is that way your light your witness to the world will make the Jews want to come to know Christ as Savior. So that's the big picture that we're talking about here. Jews are not lost forever. They will come back to know Christ, and God uses us to be a witnessing tool to them. And as we've said numerous times out here, if you look at verses 11 and you also, excuse me, look at verses 12 and verse 15, if by the Jews rejecting Jesus, look how much we get, verse 12, our fullness, and look at verse 15, the life that we get from them rejecting just imagine what's going to be like when the Jews come to know Christ. As we like to say out here, that's when the party's really going to start. So that's the big picture. Now what about us? Did you catch this? And this is a point that we've talked about before. God's using us. He's using us to make the Jews jealous. He's using us to say, hey Israel, look what I have going on. As we've joked before, that we're the new girlfriend to make the old girlfriend jealous. Now, is that okay? Yeah, Lord, whatever way you want to use me. But we really do mean that. There's something that I like to call doormat Christianity. Lord, I'll be a doormat for you. If you want people to walk all over me, they'll walk all over me, as long as it spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to mean it. Because there's a lot of times when we're doormats, we really don't like being walked on. Why? Because we're strong, right? We don't want people to take advantage of us. And I hear this verse quoted a lot. We're supposed to be wise as serpents, peaceful as doves. So therefore, I'm not going to have anybody walk on me. You realize people walked on Christ all the time? He allowed it to happen. There's a Bible term that we don't use in 21st century too much. It's called meekness. The Bible says that Jesus was meek means that he has power under restraint. Christ didn't get thrown on the cross beyond his will. He willfully went there. He could have at any time fought back. He could have at any time freed himself. He could have at any time defeated that. 
But in meekness, he allowed himself to be used. He allowed himself to be abused. He allowed himself to be the doormat for our sins. He set the example for us. So when it comes to doormat Christianity, why do we fight that so much? A lot of times, Dawn would tell me, sometimes from people in the community, not from the church, they'll call me up and she'll say, they're just using you. I'll be like, I know that. I'm okay with that. We get these phone calls a lot. We'll get a phone call from somebody in the community, and they'll be like, hey, can you call back? We need help with this. So we'll call them back, and I'll say, hey, this is Pastor James. I got your message. And they'll say, who? I'll say, Pastor James, I had a message on my phone to call you back that you had a need. And they'll say, I'm sorry, who? And I say, Pastor James from Harvest Fellowship. They say, what church? I said, Harvest Fellowship outside of Hamler. You called? They're like, oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I called so many churches. I don't even know who I called. Hey, but can you help? And it's like doormat. But you know what? I'll tell that person, I will help you in the name of Jesus. I'll help you in the love of Jesus. We had a situation years ago out here where a family from the community contacted us through somebody, through somebody, through somebody, and they had a desperate situation where they needed moved, and they needed moved immediately. So we said, Rich, okay, you know, here, you go help them move. So Richard helped move them like every day that week. That's what all he did was just moved them. And every single day, it's like, oh, my goodness, we never knew that this was what Christianity was like. We never knew this is what God did. We never knew what love was. What time's your services on Sunday? 8, 30, and 10? You will see us there. I think six years later, I'm still waiting to see them at 8, 30, and 10 on a Sunday morning. The point is we know we're being used. I know I'm being used, and I'm okay with that. Because you know what happens? That family that we helped moved, they can never say Christ never did anything for them. They can never say that they never saw a picture of unconditional love that someone stopped and said, we will do what we can to help you. That's doormat Christianity, and I'm okay with that. Now, is there a limit to that? Yeah, there is, and that's another teaching point for a different day. I always use the example of Jesus. He fed the 5,000, he fed the 4,000, and he said no more free meals. There is a balance to that. But what we're talking about here is God says, I want to use you Gentiles to tell the Jews about Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, the reason I'm using you is to make them jealous. Okay, Lord, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being used that way because if that helps spread the gospel, then I'll be a doormat for whatever you need. Now let's go one step further with this. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 9. Because Paul takes it even one step further. 1 Corinthians 9, please. One of my favorite passages is right here in 1 Corinthians. And just the way the Spirit speaks through Paul. is so eloquent with this. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, let's pick it up here in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews, became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul says, whatever place you want me to put me in, Lord, I'll be a witness for you in that capacity. Whatever state you want to call me in, I'll be a witness for you in that capacity. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to mean that. We say out here a lot, Lord, use us. Lord, use us in these parameters. Use us with this outline. Can we really pray and mean, verses 19 through 23 of 1 Corinthians 9, of, Lord, whatever you want to use me for, I will be used in that capacity, in that way. So therefore, look at the end of verse 22, that I might by all means save some. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I think a verse that goes along with this is Romans 12, verse 15, which we'll get to in a few weeks. It says, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. See, it doesn't matter what you're going through. What matters is, can the gospel be spread through the situation I'm going through? I mean, think about that. 
Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. When I answer that phone call, I don't know what it's going to be. Is it somebody who's weeping because they just had heard tragic news? Well, if they, are, if they are weeping, if they just heard tragic news, you know what? It doesn't matter what I'm going through in my life. I, my world stops turning and I will weep with those who weep. My day may have been going great. But you know what? When that person calls, we weep with those who weep. Now, what happens if the flip side? What happens if my day is going horrible? Horrible. And someone calls me up and says, Pastor, what? I just got the greatest news doesn't matter what I'm going through. I rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what it comes down to. I had a situation not too long ago where the world was falling apart at the Irvin household. Someone called, and their world was falling apart. And so I, as I joked with you before, I just try to get to any quiet room I can. And so I'm in the quiet room, and there is four little boys just banging on the door. Now, they can't hear that. Their world is falling apart. So you know what happens is my world stops. And I don't mean this egotistically, but whatever state you're in, you stop and you say, Lord, I want to do what you did, Lord, and I will focus on what they're going through. Corinthians goes one step further. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says if one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. That's why on Wednesday nights we do this time of prayer request and praise. You may not know that person that's sitting over there that's lifting up a prayer request for their cousin. But you know what? Their heart is breaking for their cousin. And so we as a body will stop and we will weep with those who weep and we'll pray for them. You may not know that person that's sitting over there, but they're rejoicing on some praise. And you may not know them, but you say, you know what? For a moment, I will rejoice with them because that's what we do as a body. Here's the problem. As the church grows numerically, it's really easy to not weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Because it's just me. It's me and my family and my little clique. And I just come into church and I sit down. And maybe if someone's new sits beside me and if maybe they talk to me, I'll maybe talk to them. And then what happens is we lose the feel of the body. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. If one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. We become all things to all people, so therefore we may win the more. And Paul says in Romans 11, he goes, God wants to use you to make the Jews jealous. Is that okay? Yeah, Lord, use me. Use me. Now what happens if the Lord calls for a deeper use in your life? It goes back to that first word we talked about in our study in Romans, Romans 1, Paul bondservant. A bondservant is a willful slave that willfully gives his or her life over to his master in love and says, I am yours. I give my freedoms to be used by you. So God says, James, do you really want to be used? Yes, Lord, use me. Then I'm going to use you in this way. No, 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 Lord, not that way. I'm not really a bondservant then. A bondservant says, I do what you want when you say it, and I go, Lord, and I willfully do it. I become all things to all people, so therefore I may win some. Doormat Christianity. I tell you right now, sometimes it feels really good to get walked on. It feels really good to stop and say, you know what? That person's using this. This person's abusing this. Hey, but Lord, they're knowing the love of Jesus. What a great thing that is. Let's move on now and see what else he says. Verse 16. For the first fruit is holy. The lump is always holy. It's also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. As some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Once again, talking about our context here of Israel and the Gentiles and being saved, what Paul is trying to say is branches were cut off. The Jews were cut off because they rejected the Messiah. We were grafted in. We were not part of the original tree, but God took us and grafted us into the root. And he says, you're now part of the tree. You're now part of the family because the Jews rejected. That's what he's talking about here. Now, for us, though, as we kind of look at this, I think there's an interesting point that comes out of this. Did you catch verse 18? But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. This is an ongoing theme here of Romans. You can't do it. You have to be connected to the root. Do you know how many times I see Christians try to live their lives not being connected to the root? 
They don't accept the fact that they're grafted in. They think that they're their own little building, their own little thing. And so therefore I hear phrases like, I can fix this. I, I can fix my marriage. I can fix my kids. I can handle this at work. It's a tough time right now, but I can do this. No, you can't. You're not a root. You have to be connected to the root. Verse 18, you are supported by the root. And the root is obviously Jesus Christ. If you're trying to do this on your own, you're going to fail, and you're going to fail miserably. Once again, let's build on this real quick. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 1 Corinthians 3. One of the toughest things is where you see somebody try to do it on their own, and they put so much energy and so much effort into it, and they think they can do it, and what happens is they fail because we're not the root. 1 Corinthians 3, start in verse 6, please. Paul speaking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Verse 7, it's not about us, it's about the Lord. And here's a simple fact, but it needs to be repeated. I mean, do you realize you can't save anybody? Do you realize you can't fix your marriage? Do you realize you can't fix your kids? Do you realize you can't fix your coworkers? Do you realize you can't fix or save anything in your life? If you try to do it on your own, you're totally ignoring verse 7. It's God who gives the increase. I can do this. No, you can't. Verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. We're a team. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is the foundation of our lives, Christ is the root of our lives. Anytime we try to build off of something other than Jesus as the root of the foundation, it is going to fail and it's going to fall. There's that great parable that Jesus did of the wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man built his house on the sand. And we all know what happens. The storms came and the guy that built his house on the sand, his house got knocked down, blown away. We forget in that parable the same storm that hit the guy that built his house on the sand also hit the guy that built his house on the rock. The point of this is no matter where you're at in life, you're going to get hit by a storm. It's going to pour on you one day. There's going to be thundering and lightning. And you know what? Somebody near you is only going to get a tenth of an inch and you're going to get five inches. They're going to say this isn't fair. It doesn't matter. Are your house built on the rock? When your house is built on the rock, it can handle it because your foundation is on the rock. You're rooted in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, since you're rooted in Jesus Christ, you can make it through it because of what he has done, not you. Just check your words sometime. Is there a lot of I? I can do this. I can get through this. I can make this. No, you can't. One of my favorite psalms, and maybe my favorite psalm, is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And here's the key. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He is the tree planted, planted in the Lord. Right now we have a lot of people that are calling themselves Christians, and I believe they are, they don't plant themselves in Christ. They don't build on the foundation of Christ. They still think they have a say. Boy, one of the most freeing things you can ever reach is that point of it's not about me, it's about the Lord. I mean, I, I had to learn that. I've been doing the pastor thing out here for 12 years now. I finally come to the conclusion, I, I can't fix your marriage. Your son that you're so concerned about, I can't lead him to the Lord. That problem you're having at work, I can't give you peace. Now, I can talk to you, I can pray with you, I can point you towards the Lord but I can't fix a single problem that you have. And I used to have this burden of I had to fix it. Yeah, I just point you towards Christ. And that is such a freeing thought to have of I just point you towards the foundation, I point you towards the root, and God takes care of it from there because it's not about me. So again, go back to Romans 11, verse 18. 
It says, remember, you do not support the root. The root supports you. This church, whatever ministry you're in, your marriage, your kids, your witness at work, your friends, your relationships, whatever sphere of ministry you have, you do not support it in any way whatsoever. Christ supports it, and he just chooses to use you in that ministry. What a freeing thing that is. Problem is, we still think it's us. Verse 19, you will say them, well, branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. The Jews rejected Jesus, so since the Jews rejected Jesus, God obviously saw something in me, so he grafted me in. There's a reason why the Lord put me here in good old Ohio, because he knew I was the only one that could reach those people at work. He knew that I was the only one that could take care of that ministry. He knew that I was the only one that could do this or that. See, that's what we have verse 19 is. But look at verse 20. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. I love Paul. Paul says the Jews are broken off because of unbelief. He goes, don't you think you can be broken off too? Don't you think it can reach a point that if you let your pride, if you let your I mentality get the best of you, you can be broken off too? Verse 22, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. Isn't that a funky phrase? Goodness and severity of God. See, this is what happens. People either only have a one-track mind when it comes to the Lord. And we, and we joked about this when we first started our study in Revelation, is we showed the picture of Jesus walking down through the beautiful metal with the trimmed beard, and he looked great. And for some reason, he's always carrying a lamb on his shoulder. I, I grew up with sheep. We had lambs. I don't ever remember my dad carrying a lamb on his shoulder like Jesus and smiling. I don't remember that. But Jesus just always walked around with a lamb on his shoulder, handing out candy to kids or something like that. That's the one picture we have. Well, then the other picture we showed was a picture of supposedly Revelation 19 of Jesus returning on the white horse to take everybody out. And the problem is people either have one mindset of that. They have this mindset of, oh, Jesus, flowers and rainbows and almost like hippie or something like that. And there is that mindset of love. I don't want to downplay that. But Revelation also makes it clear he's coming back to judge. Well, the problem is if you also go to judgment and that's all you think about, well, I don't, I got to walk on eggshells around Christ because I don't want to make him mad. Well, then you're missing the love part. And this is what I like about Romans 11 here. This verse, once again, it's the goodness and severity of God. He loved me to die on the cross for my sins, but he also is going to judge sin. It goes both ways there. Look at verse 22 again. The goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. That's a picture of mercy and grace. The Jews aren't lost forever. They can be grafted in again. Amen. But there's an important phrase here that we have to talk about. Verse 22, it says right here, if you continue in his goodness. Verse 23 says, if they do not continue in unbelief. Now, in verse 23, some of your translations do not have the word continue. It uses different words. But in the Greek, it's the exact same word that you have there in verse 22. So very simply put, you're either continuing in goodness or you're continuing in unbelief. You're, there's only two paths to go. See, the problem is in Christianity, we, we have neutral. God only looks at it as driver reverse. And there's a lot of times as Christians, we put our little Christian engine in neutral. I'm just going to hang out here for a while. Why? Well, I'm not as bad as I was. Man, you should have seen the stuff I used to do on the weekends. I, I don't do that stuff anymore. So I'm obviously better than what I was, so I'm in, I'm in neutral now. Boy, you should have seen how bad my marriage was. You should have seen the way I talked at work. You should have seen the way I was. So I have grown so much in the Lord that I can just take a break right now and put my little engine in neutral. No, you can't. You're either continuing goodness or you're continuing in unbelief. One of the phrases I use out here a lot is what I call plateau Christianity. You reach a plateau where things are good. They're not really all that bad. It's not that you're 
life's falling apart. It's not that things are really bad at home. So you just kind of hang out there because it's not really bad. God says there's a whole other level. Oh, well, why would I want to go to that whole other level? It's really comfortable right here. But comfortable is a dangerous word in Christianity. And this is where Paul is trying to tell us. Or in verse 22, are you continuing in goodness? Are you continuing in unbelief? You're either going forward or you're going backwards. And I don't remember who first said it, or I don't even remember where I first heard it, but they said Christianity is like climbing a greased pole. If you don't go up, you're going to slide down. And there's a lot of truth to that, is where are we at? Because God's making it clear. Israel rejected, cut off. If they want to come back, they're right back in. But by Israel being cut off, it gave us an opportunity. So let's just sit here and be happy. I'm in. God says, no, 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 no. Depending on your heart and your attitude, he goes, that's where it depends on where you go. You can be cut off too. Verse 24, if you were cut off out of the old olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are of natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? God says, you're the oddball. And you're the oddball, and I still loved you, and I put you in. He goes, do you think if I put you in, don't you think I'm going to accept the Jews even easier? Verse 25, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest that you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. It's just that the Jews are blind. They just don't get it. Boy, don't you know people that are blind? They either just don't get it, salvation, or they don't get what it means to be a Christian. They, they got the knowledge, they got the foundation, but then there's a blindness to going deeper. Oh my goodness, I used to spend so much energy and effort on people that just weren't growing. They had a root in Christ. They had the foundation in Christ, but there was no growth. And it's just like, and I was like, grow and grow and grow. So much energy was put into it. You know what happened? Nothing. And as I'm even saying this, I'm thinking, no, don't say nothing. Think of one example. Over 12 years of being out here, I can't think of one example where my pounding somebody resulted in them growing in the Lord. They all grew in the Lord by their own choice when they stopped and said, I want to do this. And they wanted to. Right now, you may know somebody who's not growing in the Lord and it just hurts you. Maybe it's your spouse not putting as much effort into the marriage as you are. Maybe it's your kids not making good choices like you want them to. Maybe it's a coworker that your heart's just breaking for. They're going to come to know Christ. They're going to go deeper in Christ when they choose to go deeper in Christ. There's nothing you can do about that. Pray for them. Fast for them. Be a witness for them. But there's not something you can do to make them grow. Why? Because it says in verse 25, they're blind. And before we get all egotistical here, I've been blind before. You've been blind before. We've all had moments of blindness. That's so difficult when you don't see the full picture. Some of you may know this. Uh, last week we took a few days, Dawn and I and the kids, and we went up to Michigan to a, a water park. We got some uh, gift certificates for Christmas, and we needed to get them used up before a uh, baby came. And so our time frame was running short, so we said we're going to try to sneak up here real quick. So we went up for a few days and did that. And so we're at the water park, and you're going to know where the story goes as soon as I tell you. But um, So we're up at the water park and doing all the slides and stuff. Well, I took my glasses off. I just can't do that. Obviously, you'll lose your glasses. So I took the two older boys, and Dawn had the two younger ones, and I got done off these big slides with the older boys, and I heard Dawn yell my name. And she wanted me to come grab one of the kids. So I walk over there, and so I go over to her, and I stick my hands in, and I say, give them to me. And she doesn't. And so I'm only about six inches from her, and it's really loud at the water park, so I don't want to blow the mic out here, but I say louder, give him to me. And I'm close, and I realize, that's not Dawn. <laughs> and... She's, this, this gal's wearing a black suit. Dawn's wearing a black suit. She had a little blonde-haired boy. I have blonde-haired boys. Her blonde-haired boy has a, has a blue life preserver. My boy had a life preserver. And she's like, why is she holding him so tight? <laughs> and, and so I'm yelling, give him to me, you know? <laughs> so, so after the police came and questioned me, everything was good. <laughs> funny, and I, I'm not exaggerating that story at all. And the funny, I shouldn't say the funny part is, I did it a second time. 
I started wearing my glasses. I did not care. It was, I can't, I can't see. I mean, I, I could not see. I mean, I, I was responsible for my, the little ones, and I had three of the four, and we're at the little kiddie pool, so Lane can play, and I'm looking without my glasses, and every kid looks the same. They all look, I cannot see. So I started leaving my glasses on because when you're blind, verse 25, you do stupid stuff. I don't know what else to tell you. So the point is, spiritually, you work with people, you live with people, you know people, they're blind. And no matter how you try to explain Jesus to them, they're blind. Until they choose in their heart to say, I want a relationship with Christ, they're blind. Now, you may know people that are saved, and I believe they're saved, and what happens is people come up to me and say, James, he says he's saved. He's got all the right answers. He's got all the right words. But why is he doing fill in the blank? He's blind. He doesn't see the big picture. He doesn't see it. Why doesn't Israel get it? Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. They were blind. For you that are saved now, how long did it take for you to come to know the Lord? How many decades were you blind? Now that your eyes are opened, it makes perfect sense. You see clearly, but the Bible says before, we're just looking dimly through a glass. So before we get really frustrated with these people that are blind in verse 25, it goes back to our first point. Lord, I'll be a doormat for you if I need to, because I realize they're blind. Once again, there's been so many times out here at church where I just kept thinking, one more Fill in the blank, and they're going to get it. If we just help them one more time, they'll finally get it. If we just bend over backwards for them one more time, they'll get it. Maybe, maybe not. But they're not going to get it because of what I do. They're going to get it because of the Holy Spirit speaking to their heart. So does this mean that once again we don't do anything? No, there's a balance here. Sometimes we're called to be the doormat, and sometimes we're called to say, hey, no more free meals. There's a balance, and each situation is unique. But the Lord says... Are you willing to be used by me, for me, when I call you to do it? I've shared with you before, one of the first things I pray every morning when I get up is, Lord, I don't know what's going to come today, but Lord, use me. Use me in whatever capacity that you want. And, I, and I, when I pray that, I mean it. But then when the capacity comes up, I change my mind. And this is what we do a lot. So God is looking for obedient men and women to just say, I want to be used, Lord, I'm out there to do it. As a bond servant, whatever way he calls, however he calls. And just to remind you of this, go back one more time to verse 18. Remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. What a freeing thing it is to know Christianity is not based on me. What a freeing thing to know someone's salvation is not based on me. It's you, Lord. Through your spirit, you speak through their heart. Lord, through my witness, and I don't mean that egotistically, Lord, but through my lifestyle, I want to represent Christ in all that I do and say. So therefore, when they want to come to know you, I want to be ready to point them in the right direction, and I want them to realize that I'm just a beacon for you, a servant of yours in whatever way you call. Because look at verse 25 one more time. For I did not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Paul says, don't be ignorant of this. Know the big picture that's going on. Thus you should be wise in your own opinion. It's not about us. It's about him. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And look at verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Verse 28. Concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. Or concerning the election, being chosen into salvation. They are beloved for the sake of the fathers. God says, I still got a plan for them. And the neat part about it is, if God has a plan for Israel, God also has a plan for us. And for that person that you've been praying for, you've been fasting for, you've been crying over, you've been weeping over, and you don't see them coming to know the Lord, you don't see fruit happening, God says, just keep doing it. Keep hanging in there. We don't know what's going on. They may be, verse 28, your enemy. Do you realize the rest of verse 28? 
they become your brother or sister later on in life. Isn't that a fascinating thing? That person right now that you can't stand at work, and you try to get away from, could eventually become your brother or sister in Christ. Amen. Do you not realize that that person right now that you don't want to go home to, you eventually could really be blessed in marriage with them? There's so many things that are going on that the Lord says, just trust me that I'm moving and working. You may not see the full picture, but I'm out there doing it. Last week we ended in the book of Habakkuk. And we talked about how the Lord says, in faith, trust I'm moving and working even if you don't see it. And that message is still true today. Trust that the Lord is moving and working even when we don't see it, just like he was here with Israel. Tim and Kelly, if you want to come forward here for the final song. I'm going to...